0: So from the sometimes village, sometimes city, tourism bureaus, provincial bureaus, and then full central government organs and even um, state-owned businesses. were are all trying to uh, hire people to do their overseas social media influence work for them. The breadth of how large of a business model this is, it shows that everybody really cares very much about how they're appearing on Western social media. And very few of them have the skill set to do that.
1: How does the PRC get its message out abroad? To discuss, we have the winner of the inaugural Rhodium China Talk essay contest, recent college grad, Maggie Bachman, author of the absolutely fantastic senior thesis, Selling China's Story Well. Co-hosting today is Jeff Cao, a computational journalist at ProPublica, who has also done some reporting on CCP overseas propaganda.
2: So yeah, Maggie, that was a great paper we read. And I think the the title of it was really interesting. Let's start with that. Um, Why did you call it selling China's story well?
0: The The original line is telling China's story well. Um, I remember that being something that Xi Jinping would tell um, Chinese state-owned media outlets, that it was, you know, one of their missions was to tell China's story well. And my title is a bit of a riff off of that. It's talking more about how increasingly China and Chinese government organs are paying private marketing firms, internet firms, and even their own state-owned media companies um, to advertise for China, basically packaging and selling China like a product and trying to tell China's story as if it is a product for try and market to the outside world.
2: That's great. And, and it's, it's a little different from you know, what we see uh, or what we consider to be influence operations from countries like Russia and Iraq, right? How's it different?
0: Yeah, it's absolutely like pretty different. And I think that's one of the reasons that Chinese uh, influence operations haven't gotten a ton of attention in the past. Or I think another big flaw with the way that we've looked at them in the past is that we would default back to one or two examples that we know about. And then we try to make big claims about how China's influencing, you know, Western social media everywhere we go and things like that. Um, I think a lot of times we lack the data to make those claims. A lot, and I think a lot of the issues that we're looking for the same types of operations that we've seen coming out of Russia and Iran. And while Russia and Iran are trying to prey on social divisions in a way, um, trying to undermine the Western society or the Western governance system or whatever using our social media, China is really not trying to do that. China is really focused on how the West sees China and trying to shape China's image abroad um, rather than trying to change the way that, you know, americans or westerners feel about their own country um it's much more of a positive messaging campaign aimed at shaping the way that we view china
2: i I think the first question that comes to mind is you know what's wrong with a country trying to promote itself um on the world stage right we see you know middle eastern countries uh sponsoring soccer teams and things like that um we got the voice of america sure
0: A lot of the things that I'm studying and flagging, things that come under, like, the propaganda umbrella broadly are the same kinds of things that American cities engage in all the time. You'll get tourism ads for different American cities all the time. Um, I think trying to look at the ways that China does that a little differently, Um, by and large, I don't know if it's, you know, necessarily a, a huge problem that China is trying to shape its image abroad. But it is something to be aware of a lot of times because in shaping its story, it tries to hide a lot of the parts that would receive criticism from the outside. I think one of the things that comes to mind the most is the ways that they um, shape advertising, tourism advertising, economic development advertising around Xinjiang. There are all of these, you know, video campaigns and advertising campaigns by state media outlets on Western social media about the happy Uyghurs and, you know, how how Muslims are being trained so that they can, you know, really provide for their families or so that they are able to really live harmonious, happy lives. And we know that that is not the case for a lot of people if there is forced labor happening in Xinjiang and a lot of the ways that China is using tourism advertising um, and things that are permitted on Facebook, according to its um, advertising regulations, to shape the ways that um, we view regions like Xinjiang and China's governance there.
1: So... I'd like to take a step back, Maggie. Um, you know, I did my own sort of like version of this during the pandemic, um, which was just downloading like all the Twitter bots that Twitter had gathered and said, oh, these are like Chinese state affiliated. You did such a better job than I did uh, as a 21 year old uh, looking into this question. Um, I would love to hear you talk about your research process, how you you know thought about um, gathering materials, um, what were the where were some of the more interesting places that you uncovered and the documents that um, you were able to to weave together to tell this broader story of how China um, how China tries to project itself in in Western media?
0: First, I think that is that is too kind. And I will say I actually started by playing with Twitter data. I think the Twitter data was such a cool discovery when it first, you know, when they first released it and it's available to play with um, and download from their data sets, which is available online. That's great. But. I think one of the things that struck me was that it was definitely starting with whatever was the most observable, the most egregious. You know, if, it, if it's egregious enough to be raising the, the raising the red flags for um, social media companies, there's got to be more low-level stuff out there that isn't getting flagged. And we especially know that they're not all that sensitive or great about pulling down um, disinformation. It's way harder to spot when it's coming in regions or languages that they're not experts in um, and don't tend to have the same expertise, so actually, I will say that the data set that i that I discovered, so I was working with government public procurement documents um, and that actually came about because of an article I read by by Jack um, so I remember him flagging in a proPublica piece that was published about two year almost two years ago at this point, I guess that he had found that a, that one site, which is one of the companies that was running Twitter like Twitter accounts that were active in Hong Kong, that company had previously made a deal or had, had been hired, contracted by the China News Service. He linked to a public procurement document that showed this. And I was really interested in that idea. I was like, wow, this is out of the open. This is crazy. I wonder if there are more. Turns out there are more. And I ended up finding, actually, the research process was a bit of a hassle. Chinese government Web pages don't like it when foreign IP addresses try to scrape their websites. So I ended up having to use workarounds like um, pr- public procurement aggregators that would take local, uh, regional, provincial, you know, every level of um, government, contra- uh, government procurement contracts and uh, make them all publicly available if you register for an account. So I ended up scraping one of these aggregators and I ended up with a lot more contracts available for a longer period of time.
2: You know, listeners might not be very familiar with sort of the tender uh, process in China and, and sort of how these contracts come about and, and are published online. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: So the Chinese government, um, partly because it would like to be added to an international uh, government public procurement a trade agreement, basically, has been working on making its uh, deals with private companies much more transparent. So as in the U.S., but I didn't even know this before I did this kind of research. Um, government organs who would like to buy services of any kind ranging from like buying new desks for a government office to it turns out buying uh, services where someone will manage their Facebook page for a year, they will put out uh, calls for bids basically um, and then they'll give a time frame where interested and uh, qualified companies can apply and submit submit proposals. Um, and then they will choose a winner there's also an option for single source procurement where they will have identified who they would like to work with beforehand. And because they're such a standout, cannot be beaten in price or just like have skills that no one else has, they'll be picked without even having to compete. Um, and actually that happens quite frequently, um, for overseas social media work. They have a couple preferred contractors that they will give uh preferential treatment to.
2: Great. So, so how many, uh, how many contracts did you find? You know, what was the, what was the time period? What did that look like yeah. overall to begin with?
1: And, and, <laughs> and Maggie, uh, after looking under the hood, I'm curious whether you think this is a good business to be in.
0: Definitely a good business to be in. Um, the market is definitely expanding and there are more and more companies that are winning bids every year and more and more bids coming out from all over the country. So I scraped using an aggregator called Bid Center and I scraped starting in 2013 so that was the old, the first time that I found it, the, the, the timeline actually goes back to 2007. But the first government contract that I found that was um, looking for the keyword search that I was using was high wife, which is overseas social media. The first contract that that involved that term came in 2013. And I started with that, with that one and went all the way through to the end of 2020. So I ended up with 554 separate contracts. Um, and those are, those are not all final result contracts. Some of those were call for bids. Some of those were single source procurement announcements. And some of those were like, here are the results. Sometimes they had to call for bids twice or three times because no qualified suppliers were applying. It's a pretty interesting collection of documents with varying levels of detail.
2: What did you find at a high level?
0: So there are, I think one of the most interesting things I found was this is not really happening in one place or at one level of government. We're finding that in like every province, at every level, so from the like village, you know the sometimes village, sometimes city tourism bureaus, provincial bureaus, and then national full uh, central government organs, and even um, state-owned businesses, we're all trying to uh, hire people to do their overseas social media influence work for them. And I think the breadth of like how how large of a business model this is how widespread it is, and kind of there were airlines who wanted to pay for these services. There were tourism bureaus. There were cultural bureaus. There were propaganda bureaus. Really, I think it shows that everybody really cares very much about how they're fearing on Western social media, and very few of them have the skill set to do that.
1: It's kind of weird, though, isn't it? I mean, it's just like, what does this town really need, like, are they really going to get Western tourists to be lured in through Twitter. Do you have any sense, Maggie, of like the underlying bureaucratic logic of like doing this just because like it makes you look cool and serious and international?
0: A lot of it has to do with economic development. While I'm phrasing it as tourism advertising and often it's coming from the tourism bureaus and often the tourism bureaus and economic development bureaus are kind of intertwined. They're not just advertising like it's pretty, we have nice hotels and you'll have a nice vacation here. They're advertising like cultural diversity, good governance, stable location, harmonious society. They use kind of the same key terms over and over again, and they go far beyond what you'd really need if you were looking for a vacation. They're trying to shape this idea of what this town is, what it means to be, you know, a town in this region of China, what it means to be a town in China, and what kind of what China looks like as a whole. Um, so I think it's starting on the minute level and sometimes they than point to Central government directives to increase tourism, increase advertising, increase economic development. This is how they're doing it. They're shaping their image, making them seem, themselves seem more desirable. And we all know that if you're going to travel somewhere, you're going to Google it first, and they kind of want to be the people controlling those results.
2: I, I think when we think about sort of uh, influence operations online, you know, like you said before, you, your your mind sort of goes to Twitter automatically, right? But in your data set, you found sort of a, a different result, right? That it wasn't just people looking to, you know, increase their reach on Twitter?
0: No. Um, so definitely the most prevalent platform mentioned on their overseas social media contracts was Facebook. Um, Facebook ha- was appearing at like double the rate of other platforms. Facebook was almost was often mentioned alone, but there was, never, there was never a time where like a Twitter was mentioned or an Instagram was mentioned by itself. If you were going to include Western social media platforms, they were starting with Facebook. And actually, it was very interesting after digging into that. I was was very curious about why that was true. Um, It seems like there actually is, there are some underlying reasons to that. After doing a lot of digging, I found a very strange website called ReachTheWorldOnFacebook.com. Last I checked, it is still available on the internet, even though I've now talked to Facebook representatives about it. And ReachTheWorldOnFacebook.com allows Chinese businesses to connect with local advertising resellers who will advertise for them on social media platforms, even though the platform is banned in China. So these government bureaus and uh, state-owned entities usually can't access um, Facebook.com. It is blocked by the Great Firewall. So in order to get their message on on Western social media, they will be paying Facebook resellers who are licensed by Facebook and have special trainings by Facebook and special tools they can access through Facebook and They'll be paying them to do their advertising for them and target specific groups like Friendly Shandong was targeting adventurous Australian beer drinkers.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a pretty, this is like a nice little WordPress site. We've got like a scrolling header, you know, it's it's full width, you know, much more modern than what I would expect from a Chinese bureaucratic procurement uh, homepage.
0: The guy who built it works in Hong Kong, um, in the Hong Kong base, I think he might have actually been a contractor, but. He advertised it on his LinkedIn page. Uh, so that was that's all him. Ah, I don't know. They are expanding. So the profits from China added up to $5 billion in 2017, an estimated, um, which would make China their second largest market outside of the United States. And it's all advertising because that's all they're doing from China, even though they're not doing it in China. It's a lot of money, it's a huge market.
2: Maggie, can you talk about? Some of the different providers that were providing these services, you know, overseas social media work is, is a certain sort of language facility and, you know, expertise with, with these platforms that are banned in the country.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So basically what I found is there are two main types of firms, companies that were qualified to do this work. And the first is state-owned media giants. Um, So even though they're advertising, you know, this privatized platform, they're advertising this privatized version of it. You can compete for it. The people who are winning these bids are often the Xinhua News Agency, China Daily, and People's Daily. Actually, I think the three of those two together won more than 40% of the contracts. Um, Because they have this this reach and they've proven ability to work in Chinese and English and kind of communicate with clients, they have a lot of trust from government clients in their ability to execute the message that they want them to execute. so they build a lot of websites, too. That's one of their big things. They build websites for local tourism bureaus and things
1: like that. Do English. you think these folks are getting their money's worth out of the 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 Xinhua's and uh, Reminur Bows of the world?
0: I mean, it's hard to tell as someone who now sees those names and like immediately discounts the message in some ways. Um, but I think a lot of times when their name isn't on it and a lot of times their name won't be on it, you know, these pretty pictures of gorgeous sunsets over mountains somewhere in China. They have a formula and the formula seems to be working fairly well. I guess one thing that I think what's kind of important to talk about is I found that the way that these were working was a combination. It's a little bit of an academic tangent, but there are kind of two scholars who've been talking about ways that China shapes messaging abroad. And I found that those two kind of came together really well in this data set. And the first was Anne-Marie Brady, who wrote almost 20 years ago about nation branding as nation building and this whole idea of. Um, when it came to China and how you can kind of form a China, like a picture of China that you want to then advertise to the world. And I do think there's this coherent message. There's the same phrases, there's the same like formula of pictures, there's a lot of pandas, a lot of sunsets, a lot of like happy workers. And it's the same thing happening no matter what the city is. You could probably swap out the title. Sometimes you literally like they have the same slogan. If you just swap out the city name, you'll get this you'll get a similar advertising campaign for all of them. And the other one is I think what explains why this is happening and why they keep doing this what makes it effective is someone who like sees this and i don't really feel like it's doing all that much molly roberts wrote in her book censored um about flooding where you kind of take over a topic um i think it was used uh in tibetan like tibet free tibet discourse where china like found a hashtag and then just like overwhelmed it with pro china content basically and so if people are talking about Xinjiang and the way they're talking about Xinjiang is always associated with forced labors, forced labor and weakers, China wants to take Xinjiang and they want to make it something associated with great business development, um, increasing quality of life and harmonious society. Um, and so they're going to pay people to kind of overwhelm that topic on Western social media until your gut level immediate association with the word Xinjiang is not this picture of forced labor these satellite images it's this like video you saw that came up on your facebook feed of like someone saying that china like you know changed my life by giving me these education courses so i think that's kind of how it works not sure how effective it is but it's definitely a different tactic than we're seeing coming out of russia
1: yeah it's interesting because you are like probably one of the most sophisticated consumers of this on the planet now so the fact that it's not the, the the Jedi mind tricks no longer work on Maggie is not is not is not super surprising. You you mentioned earlier that it wasn't just the 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 Xinhua's and people da- people's dailies of the world which get these contracts. Who are their sort of competitors in this space?
0: Yeah, so their their competitors are these. Small internet startup companies that often, when they were first registered, so you can find their business registration, which is how I've kind of tracked them, because they don't often have a huge internet presence, despite the fact that they work on overseas social media. They start off as lots of very random things. They'll start off as tourism bureaus. They'll start off as photography sites. And then over time, they'll see that there's a space in the market where they could win government contracts for taking pictures for a purpose or advertising in a specific way. Um, and so there are these startups that pivoted into the sector, one a government contractor two. very few of them go on to win more than like one, two or three contracts. Sometimes they're renewed. So i was not sure how successful they are, in like really becoming influential startups. But I guess they're probably undercutting some of their competitors and they can do basic English language, based, like access Western social media and do the job of regularly posting and regularly bringing in views, whether those are real or artificial.
2: There's something about, you know, Western social media that makes it sort of susceptible, right, in in a way, because uh, if you have a message, you have money, you can get your message across. So, um, you know, you talk a little bit about sort of the information infrastructure in the U.S. and and how they target it. Can you can you unpack that a little bit?
0: I think this is where our system of of tech regulation gets much more complicated. A lot of what what I was finding and what we're kind of talking about is not overtly hostile, malign, or in many cases, false. Talking about China's economic development is not fake news. It's not going to be flagged by Twitter like we're seeing increasingly, you know, coronavirus misinformation being flagged. I think the challenge is the ways that, you know, if you have enough, you can overwhelm a a, a feed or if you can overwhelm a topic, um, you have the ability to shape sentiments without ever doing anything that violates tech policies or tech companies, you know, rules of use. So sometimes if it's advertising, it's explicitly permitted and encouraged. So I don't know if that, I guess that makes us more vulnerable than countries that, that have rules about who can post and have real name registration rules and other ways of restricting how information flows. But in a system of free information flow, the more, the more you pay, the more information you have to put out there, the more more influence you have.
1: If you don't like ads and want to support the show, click the Patreon link in the show notes and subscribe for an ad-free feed.
2: There were sort of other services that were being offered as well. Things that might look pretty familiar to someone who works in sort of social media marketing. Things like identifying key influencers and and paying them or, you know, scraping public social media data and monitoring public opinion. Companies do that sort of thing all the time, right? You know, how is it different uh, in this context?
0: The monitoring overseas um, social media platforms for public opinion and things like that. I can't say that I necessarily found that to be particularly, you know, malign, indicator of malign behavior. We try to do the same all the time, trying to figure out, you know, what's trending on Weibo these days? What are the topics that are happening? What are the topics that are, you know, really up the moment? Um, I do think the things that to me were more interesting were the the purchasing of Western influencers. Um, So one of my favorite examples that I kind of dug into was this very nondescript social media company. It won multiple contracts, which is why I found it interesting, called the Shenzhen Ishan like Cultural Media Company or something like that. It was a very generic name. Does not have a website. Like only reason you know it's active is they've moved, you know, offices in the last year. But it turns out they have an American they have an American branch that is much more public facing. It has gone through multiple iterations, gone through multiple names, and most recently it's called itself the March Lion Agency, and they have recruited a number of influencers, um, not super, not like the most famous influencers, people who have significant followings who are probably more susceptible to um, good pay and want to enter the, are willing to enter the Chinese market as well. So they are, they brought a number of Western influencers onto SinoWaybill, set them up with profiles. Unlike many Westerners who tried to break in, they were very successful within almost le- less than a year. They pretty much only follow each other. And they've made this network of Westerners on on Sino Wall. but also, you know, they have, clearly have ties to this company who has hired them to do influence work. They're famous on Instagram. They're making videos on YouTube. They're in fields like <laughs> one guy into clay polymers. Mishti Rahman is a Muslim, I think, influencer. There's a couple grunge makeup influencers. So really, it really runs the gamut.
1: Yeah, it, it's interesting because like, generally when people think of like Westerners in the pocket of the CCP, it's like those folks making videos on YouTube talking about how how Xinjiang is amazing and like that's their whole channel, right? But what I found so interesting about about this finding was that, you know, it's not only that. Uh, it's not, not only those folks who are like, just like explicitly pro CCP content that that are in this big wave of influence campaigns.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of um, people who are famous for something else who I'm pretty sure got invited to an influencers night in New York where they got to take pictures with pretty unusual backgrounds, then got to strike some deals to enter Wave Wall, and from there, you know, I mean, I don't, I'm not pointing to them and saying, you know, they're they're advertising on behalf of the CCP on Facebook and here are the posts that have to prove it. And I, I'm i not trying to throw those stones. I'm just saying that we know that they're working for this company. Um, their influence are hired by and represented by this company that does social media work on Western platforms for the Chinese government.
1: You said earlier in the conversation that you've been in touch with Facebook in particular on this. How do you think they're they're managing it? And, you know, if you were or- oversight board czar for the day, um, what uh, what would you potentially do differently?
0: I guess taking a step back on. Um, I will say there have been a range of responses and some of them have been better than others. I will say like, well, the Wall Street Journal was doing, was being flagged as like the major place where everyone wanted to get their advertising out there. They were paying people to make, make those connections with the Wall Street Journal and get these inserts printed in the Wall Street Journal that looked like, I think this was actually, you know, they they got in trouble for this. People yelled at them for this because they were publishing things that looked like they were news articles, but they were completely paid for by foreign new sources i think
1: which which for the record like i am shocked by it, and it's been going on for decades and it kept going on even after all the journalists got kicked out of beijing which is just sort of incredible to me i mean jeff you're deeper in this yeah. i don't think propublica has any paid um uh, chinese government inserts but like no what was no, going on here uh, for so long
2: actually if you if you go to Xinhua's fair filings which which they've started doing now you can actually find um, all of the papers that that they advertise in, I think she will hire People's Daily.
0: It was definitely interesting. I think their move to, well, I mean, as far as I know, they've stopped doing it. I, I you know, they said they were going to stop doing it. So I think that response, the like public pressure, like condemnation, and then like changing their ways, was a good call. But it's a little different for a a, a new source to be passing off things, advertisements as their own reporting. And Facebook to be acting as Facebook claims to be just a platform where you post things and like, they're not responsible for the content.
1: What was Nick Clegg's line earlier this week? Like, it's like a car or what? No, it was a it was worse than a car. What did he say? Do you guys remember this?
0: This is definitely up for debate whether this is how Facebook operates, but they say that that's how they operate. You know, they just let things happen. And if they happen, you know, they were just acting as a public platform where everyone can share their opinions like a bulletin board or whatever. You know, Twitter has made at least more efforts to create this transparency initiative to release data sets, to acknowledge when it happens and take off numbers of users and allow you to use all the data, collaborating with scholars. And usually, if a scholar like calls them out on it, those those networks will often get removed. Um, it doesn't really feel like Facebook is doing that. And in fact, it feels like Facebook is sort of doing the opposite where where they are explicitly like advertising in cooperation with Chinese companies who then are working directly with Chinese government clients. There was a a beautiful New York Times picture, I think it was an article a couple years ago, where Meet Social, which is one of Facebook's advertising partners, had set up an exhibition. I think it was in Beijing. And they set up an exhibition, and they're showing how their platform can be used. And people had... like a lot of these companies never seen Facebook before. So you could like scroll through a Facebook page and see what Facebook looked like. So you could see what an advertisement would look like and then pay Neat social to do it. And there was a giant picture of Xi Jinping on the wall. And it was like in a government exhibition center. Um, so th- this idea that like somehow Facebook is, you know, sticking it, sticking it to the Chinese government or, you know, willing to, you know, take things down. I think Their interests clearly lie in trying to find a way to work in the Chinese market. And this is how they found it. Um, It doesn't really feel like their financial or corporate interests are aligned with taking down content. And all the times they do so is when there's enough of a public outcry about a specific video or a specific piece of content that they'll just take it down to avoid the hassle and the PR nightmare. Wow. And this is not going to this is not going to dare me to Facebook, but that's (laughs) fine.
2: I,
1: well, I mean, you know, uh, a little Frank. Uh, don't worry, Maggie. They've hired plenty of former Facebook critics.
2: I wouldn't be too worried about your future. <laughs> I'm just trying to get hired moment. by Facebook. I just don't really
0: want them to be out to get me either.
2: Yeah, this is. Uh, after all, we live in a capitalist society, right? And all companies at, at the end of the day are trying to make money. So, you know that that's just how it works. I, I guess
0: one thing I will say is it doesn't seem like there is an easy answer. I don't really think that taking down the Chinese government tourism pages and not, like, not allowing them to advertise on Western social media is the right solution to the problem. I think that, you know, a lot of the moves that would be taken would be seen as intentionally trying to cripple China's economic development, intentionally trying to make it harder for Americans to travel to or have interest in or understand China. Like, I, and I think that would also be a really problematic outcome if Fewer Americans, you know, or we view every time a a Chinese airline pops up on your Facebook page that that's, you know, China's out to get you or whatever. That's also not the desired outcome. And it's going to lead to greater competition and greater feelings of hostility, which obviously not the desired outcome in the long run.
2: So do you have any uh, policy prescriptions at the end of all this? There's this uh, massive change in the last few years and we're struggling how to deal with it. But, But what are your thoughts on that?
0: The flags, like the state-owned media outlets and the ways of tagging content is definitely an improvement. They're very small and in like little gray, little gray at the very top of those of those posts, which I think is maybe not the most effective. If you talk to a psychologist about what someone's gonna see in that image as they scroll past, it's not gonna be the state-owned media flag. So maybe trying to work on really leaning into that initiative that they're that they're working on and trying to follow through a little bit more on that. Definitely being more proactive about flagging content as political. Um, I think a lot of times their tourism content is not flagged as political because, you know, it's it's tourism advertising. But when it's talking about things like China's governance in a region, I do think that deserves um, the moderator once over, which it deserves to be kept in Facebook's uh, ad library, which if it's not political, it will be kept after it's been run. And so all of this tourism, all these tourism advertisements are gone. They're not visible anymore to researchers trying to figure out what's happening. Look, work on the transparency there. I'm hoping just public awareness. Like, this is something that's happening. Not necessarily, it's not the end of the world. It's not this giant malign, you know, campaign that's out to try to change the way that Western democracy works. That's not what China's trying to do, but there's something to be aware of when you consume media.
1: Maggie, I, I just want to sort of acknowledge that you are more articulate than many folks uh twice your age who've come on this show. So, um, Congratulations as the inaugural winner of this contest! Your essay has inspired me to just like work harder to keep this up because it's a real honor. I think to be able to get the chance to highlight sort of up and coming talent oh, in this the world. Side. So keep doing what you're doing, and can't wait to to have you on again the next time you um, do something this this important and impactful, which I know you will.
0: Thank you so much for having me. This was very fun. Hey say do code Don't
2: Muram mura, mura you mura. mura. Bambi, bambi.